And welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order, and then we rank them from best to worst. My name's Ben. And I'm Sarah. Thank you for listening to us today. How you doing, Sarah? I'm tired. Mm. I'm 32 now. This is true. We had a birthday bash for you and everything. Yes. Had a bunch of friends over. Yeah, it was really nice to see everyone. Um, a friend of ours has uh, a just under one year old um, and her babysitter fell through, but that meant we got to play with a little kid. Yes, this is true. Yeah. So it was like bonus. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah. Um, we own a house. I believe uh, it's a castle Ben? Sure, sure, sure. Yes, we we have bought our own castle scream scene. Um, like we paid extra for the moat. Like I think <laughs> that makes it count as a castle. Yeah, yeah, you know, it was always a castle. It yeah. was always a castle. We we used to rent castle scream scene. Um, there's been a few different castles scream scene, uh, but now we will own our own castle scream scene. <laughs> <laughs> There's a basement and everything for a mad lab. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, wherein a mad scientist can create a monster. Speaking of. This week's movie is Frankenstein's Daughter from 1958. Now, let me stop you right there. Mm. Uh, this isn't the first Frankenstein's Daughter. Isn't it? Well, isn't there like a Baroness Frankenstein? Ah, so you're remembering Elsa Frankenstein from Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. Yeah. And she was the daughter of one of the sons of Frankenstein. That So she's Frankenstein's granddaughter. Yes. Like, that still counts. Like, her parents were still Frankensteins. I guess technically that is true, yes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, now we're completing a nice little bit of symmetry. We had Dracula's daughter and son of Dracula. Now we have son of Frankenstein and Frankenstein's daughter. Now... I feel like we've been on this merry-go-round enough times by this point that we don't really need to like fill in the listener on like what's Frankenstein because really all you need to know at this point is like he's a mad scientist who stitched some corpses together and made a monster that ran amok. I will say that uh, the last couple of Frankensteins that would be fresh in the audience's mind, audience of like going to see this in theaters would be frankenstein 1970 mm. teen frankenstein i think mm -hmm. it's called i was a teenage frankenstein that's right and then a uh, curse of frankenstein from hammer horror and the sequel yes uh which was revenge of frankenstein i believe yeah so yeah. those would be the things that are fresh in people's minds sure i feel like this has the most dna with i was a teenage frankenstein this is a very cheap movie <laughs> uh in fact, this movie, uh, I haven't mentioned the director yet. It was directed by Richard E. Kana, and uh, we've had him on the show before. I remember making a uh, Scotty joke about he kinda give her any more. Right. So Richard Earl Kana was born in 1927 in Honolulu, Hawaii. And in World War II, he served as an aerial photographer for the military before becoming a cinematographer for military training films, newsreels, and documentaries. 
After the war, he became a director of photography for television. He worked on a number of shows um, all throughout the 1950s. And then in 1958, he took his shot to become a movie director, signing a contract to make 10 films in 24 months for Aster Pictures. Um, He only ended up making four. Now, Aster Pictures was founded in the 1930s by Robert Savini, and it was um, like originally primarily a re-release distributor. They would buy, you know, the rights to old movies and, and put them back out into theaters and in the like late 40s and into the 50s, they kind of moved into distributing low-budget indie movies. Um, and then finally, in the 1950s, they started producing some of their own movies, um, mostly like low-budget B sci-fi stuff, like 1958's Catwomen of the Moon. That's a pretty infamous one, isn't it? Yes. So um, the first two movies that kind of made under this deal were a double feature of She Demons, which is basically an adventure movie, and Giant from the Unknown. Um, And that was earlier in 1958. And we reviewed Giant from the Unknown in episode 227, and it is ranked number 181. Is that the one with the like conquistador buried in the mountain? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So this is now like his second set of um pictures for aster so um the movie that this was paired with in the double feature uh, was actually missile to the moon which was a remake of catwomen of the moon which was only five years old at this point um catwomen of the moon had been made in 3d um and it had a it was a low budget film with a cast of like middle-aged men playing astronauts who go to the moon and then there's a bunch of cat ladies there um so Missile to the Moon, the remake, was made for even cheaper than the original, was not in 3D, and added teens to the cast. So teens go to space. Yeah, where there's Catwomen. <laughs> but it's the teen part that's like the most unrealistic mm, aspect of that sure, movie. Sure, sure. Yeah, okay, we'll <laughs> say that. Uh, so the first half of the double bill was tonight's movie, Frankenstein's Daughter. It was made in six days for $65,000. Oh, my God. And it was shot primarily at producer Mark Frederick's house in May of 1958. <laughs> Wait, uh, you said it was filmed in May? Mm-hmm. What What month is this? Uh, this would come out in December. Okay. Yeah. The film stars John Ashley in the lead role. Uh, we talked about John Ashley in episode 237 on how to make a monster. He was AIP's low-budget Elvis Presley. And he would later in his career go on to be a television producer, most notably as like one of the co-creators of the A-Team. Yeah, I remember when we saw this guy, he didn't have any of the charisma yeah. of Elvis. And he was basically almost like going through the motions. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's an okay sound alike, but he just doesn't have the charisma. Yeah. Um, now, Ashley would later say of making this film, quote, AIP was low budget, 100 grand a movie, but at least they shot on sound stages and the size of the crew was bigger. Frankenstein's daughter was real rock bottom. It was quick, a little more down and dirty than AIP. Just so you know, like what <laughs> realm we're operating in. Yeah, woof. The female lead is played by actress Sandra Knight who would go on to appear in three Roger Corman horror movies in the early 1960s, during which time she married her co-star, Jack Nicholson, in 1962. They had a daughter in 1966 and divorced in 1968. Oof. 
The only cool time that she married Jack Nicholson. The only time Jack Nicholson was ever married to any of the uh, mothers of his various children. Yeah. He was like, did that once. I'm good. Yeah. Also appearing in the cast is 24-year-old Sally Todd, who had been Playmate of the Month for February 1957. Harold Lloyd Jr. Oh. Uh, the son of Harold Lloyd and actress Mildred Davis, who was born in 1931. Uh, Harold Lloyd Jr. began appearing in films in the 1950s. Um, Frankenstein's Daughter was his fifth film, but he's still credited as introducing Harold Lloyd Jr. Um, because he found it like very difficult to emerge out from his father's shadow, uh, as you might expect. He was an alcoholic from a very young age, and he also struggled a lot with his homosexuality, which would be like enough of a problem for someone living in the 1950s if it wasn't for the fact that he was also attracted to very violent men who would like beat him on the regular. He was engaged on two occasions to women who then called it off when they found out he was gay. And in 1965, he suffered a stroke from which he never really recovered, and he passed away in 1971, three months after his father. That's really rough. Yeah. Running out the cast, uh, we have inventor Felix Locker, who holds 100 different patents related to a data mapping system he made for insurance salesmen or something like that. Okay. Um, he was the father of actor John Hall, who played the Invisible Man in Invisible Agent and The Invisible Man's Revenge. Locker himself didn't start acting until 1955, uh, very much later in his life. He was born in 1882. How old is he? 70 then? Yeah, 76 at the time of making this film, I believe. Oh, God. Uh, and in 1967, he became, uh, in a certain way of looking at it, the oldest performer to ever appear on Star Trek when he played 29-year-old Robert Johnson in The Deadly Years. Oh, yeah, because he, like, rapidly ages or whatever, yes, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, that's the episode with the rapid aging. Um, I think older actors have appeared on Star Trek since. Like, I think, actually, Patrick Stewart's older now. But in the sense of, like, what performer has the earliest birth date of anyone to ever appear on Star Trek, it is um, Felix Locker. Also appearing in a rare non-gorilla role is gorilla suit actor George Barrows, who plays Mac. Is that the creature? No, that's just some guy. That's just some guy? Yeah. Um, that brings us up to Harry Wilson, who does play the creature. He was 61 years old by this point. Um, he had acromegaly, and he billed himself as Hollywood's ugliest man. Um, he was often cast as, like, goons and muscle. Uh, you would probably recognize him as one of George Raff's henchmen in Some Like It Hot from 1959. Okay. Um, he's kind of the guy who's like the like, uh, oh, gee, boss, like that kind of guy. <laughs> um, and he was cast to play the film's monster, despite the fact that the monster is female. Because it was felt that like they needed a, a performer of like large, intimidating stature. So Wilson was then sent to makeup artist Harry Thomas, who was told to create a monster. But the producers wanted to save some money, so they wouldn't print uh, a $2 copy of the script for Thomas. So he didn't know that... He did not know that the monster was supposed to be female, uh, since he was sent, you know, a male performer and said, like, make, make a monster. Make a monster. Um, so yeah, he created a male monster makeup. And then Wilson arrived 
on set in the makeup for the first day of shooting. And didn't he say anything? He apparently didn't know either. Okay. Um, and director uh, Richard kind of broke down in tears. Yeah, well, I, I imagine they're under a lot of stress. Yeah, in fact, there was not enough time in the schedule or money in the budget to try again with the makeup. So they just had to go for it. They put some lipstick on Wilson's, like in his makeup, and just rolled with it. Now, is this better or worse than the she creature where they took a monster design and made tits and a blonde wig for it? Probably worse. Um, because we have a character who is ostensibly a um, female, like, teen character uh, who is being played by a male 61-year-old man. Uh. So the film was released on December 15th, 1958, with Missile to the Moon. Critics greeted it with contempt. It was called, quote, a dismal clunker. And the New York Times said... It's a toss-up whether Frankenstein's Daughter or Missile to the Moon is the cheaper, duller piece of claptrap. Both are horror movies being simply horrible bores. Uh, its reputation has not improved with time. Okay. Um, it has mostly found its niche as a, like, so bad it's good, watch it ironically and laugh at it kind of movie. Um, and due to the, like, failure of the monster to represent the concept of what the monster was supposed to be as represented in the script, uh, kind of called this film the biggest disappointment of his career. Oh dear. Well, that means it's only up from here, right? Sure. <laughs> so, uh, today Frankenstein's daughter, which is very much in the public domain is available to watch on Tubi. And it's also in a restored Blu-ray, uh, from the film detective. Incredibly. Maybe he just needed to, like, practice on something. And he was like, yeah, no one will care if I fuck up Frankenstein's daughter. Maybe. Um, Film Detective puts, like, a lot of um, public domain stuff on DVD. And I've never really been, like, a huge fan of their releases in the past. Um, but, yeah, like, they did, like, this really top-notch restoration of Frankenstein's daughter on, like, a Blu-ray. It has, like, a commentary. and Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm now I'm really curious to watch that folks if you are also curious you can watch along by finding this on Tubi you're going to hear a brief musical interlude and when we come back we will discuss Frankenstein's Daughter from 1958 directed by Richard Kunna see you on the other side everybody Welcome back to Scream Scene. We just finished watching Frankenstein's Daughter from 1958, directed by Richard Cunna. Ben, uh, what did you think? I didn't dislike it as much as you did. Yeah, I had a really hard time with this movie. Yeah. Uh, just very frustrating, very tiresome. It's It's not good. No. But I think it did one of the key things that, like activates your I don't have any more patience for this button 
which is be misogynistic. And it smashed that button right off the bat. Oh, yeah. Like, the credits hadn't even finished rolling. Yeah. And so, like, I've noticed over time that that's something where that's a quick way to make you give up on a movie, like, very quickly. Um, So, yeah, I I didn't hate it as much as you, but I don't think your reaction was unfair. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, if a movie, you know, is being misogynistic because, like, they're the villains, like, it's okay for a movie to portray things when it's, like, for a point. But this movie, yeah, is, that's just its point of view. That's the biggest problem. The villain is absolutely, like, a slimy, creepy, misogynistic rapist. The problem is, is that none of the like heroic male characters, like ostensibly heroic male characters, none of the boyfriends are much better. Yeah. And the movie itself has like a lot of misogynistic dialogue throughout. So it's exactly the point you're making. Like the stuff around the villain would be, I guess, easier to take um, if it was clear that like that the other characters were weren't better. also like that right exactly yeah it's it's the movie's own point of view um but how about i just dive in yeah for sure um i think our little like bit here about the misogyny uh, is enough of a content warning so i don't think i need to give any major things out here um so the film starts off with Susie being dropped off after a date with dawn and she basically has to force him off because they're making up by a tree and she's like stop Mm -hmm. and he drives off in a huff uh and then a creature approaches Susie, and it's a hideous woman (laughs) it's um it's meant to be kind of a, a monster uh with like crazy eyes crazy teeth very hairy eyebrows it would just be a very ugly woman but we're in a horror movie called Frankenstein's Daughter. This is supposed to be a monster. Yeah. And then the credits roll. <laughs> so the next morning, Trudy, who is our main female character, she wakes up and seems to have had really strange and bad dreams all night. Uh, now, she lives with her uncle Carter, who is like 80 years old, and he is an independent researcher scientist type uh, who has a lab assistant named Oliver Frank. Yep. And their gardener, Elsu. Now, Trudy, um, she heads off for the day to uh, meet up with her boyfriend, Johnny, and Susie and Don to go play tennis. Yeah, so Which is weird. <laughs> well, okay, it makes sense when you put some clues together in this movie, which is like this is one of those movies where if you're paying attention, you realize it's like a John Hughes movie where like these kids who are being presented to you as normal are actually like super wealthy. Yeah. Because like Trudy lives in a mansion. It has a servants' pool, quarters. It has servants' quarters. Yeah. It has a wine cellar. It has like an outdoor kitchen for like the pool area. Like she's rich and she lives with her rich. I don't know if like who's rich here. She lives with her uncle. There's no parents. Someone inherited some money here somewhere. And then Johnny, although he is gunning for like an assistant manager position at his job, his dad is a lawyer. 
So like, I think they're playing tennis because they're rich white kids. It's just, it seems odd to me. I, I've never heard like, all right, mom and dad, I'm off to go play tennis. Yeah, because you were never in the tax bracket of people who do that. <laughs> That's fair. So she goes off to play tennis with her mm-hmm. friends. And Susie is telling everyone like, yeah, I saw a monster last night. It was fucked up. And no one believes her. Dawn is playing it off like, I don't give a fuck. And Johnny is like, well, Susie, you are always making up stories. Yeah, there's this like idea that Susie is... Someone who goes for attention. Right, which I'll have more to say about that later. Oh, yeah. But when Susie tells Trudy about this monster and describes it, Trudy goes, oh, that description matches up with the monster that was in my dreams now trudy shares this with johnny and johnny's like ah don't worry your pretty little head about it nobody believes in dreams yeah dreams are just dreams and here i am gunning for the assistant manager position once i have that we'll be able to get married so don't worry about it (laughs) shoots And yet John Ashley is still somehow like the most charismatic of these four. (laughs) He really is. Oh, dear. So Trudy heads back home uh, where she has a series of men forcing themselves on her. Um, Elsu, the gardener, is weird and tries to give her a rose being like, I didn't want to kill this rose, but now that it's dead, I shall give it to you. (laughs) And she's sitting on the couch like, oh, God, oh, God, please leave me alone. Like very explicitly Um, to the point where when her uncle Carter comes in, he's like, Elsu, you're not supposed to be on this side of the house. Get out of here. And like scoots him out with a broom almost like he's like a stray dog. And yet Elsu is perhaps one of the least threatening men in this household. Um, but Carter's like, oh, did was Elsie bothering you? Like, is that all he did was offer you a rose? Like, are you okay? And then has like no concerns or like radar warnings going off with Oliver in the house who literally force kisses her. Yeah, yeah. He forces himself on her. My favorite thing about Oliver as um, Carter's assistant is that it is a key element of the plot for the plot to work that Carter accepted this guy to be his lab assistant with no references, no resume, doesn't know anything about him at all. Like this guy just showed up one day and was like, can I be your lab assistant? I guess. And Carter was like, sure. Whereas the way he acts around Elsu is as if like he hired Elsu on like a convict, like rehabilitation program and was told up front, like, Hey, Elsu's got some assault charges in his past. And he was like, well, you know, everyone deserves a second chance. But meanwhile, Oliver just flew under the radar. I guess he just waved a Harvard diploma in his face and got all in. Um, well, there's some classism going yes. on there because Elsu is very clearly an immigrant. And Oliver is Oliver Frank, who stands tall and is white. And is super entitled about everything. About everything. Um, so... Trudy slaps Oliver off and, uh, you know, leaves, whatever. She, he's like, well, where are you going? She's like, I'm going to the pool. You should go have a cold shower. It's like, don't tell him where you're actually going. So we, we touched on a little bit about Carter and Oliver's working relationship. So Carter, 
he is trying to create, um, in my notes, I wrote down potion <laughs> and then had to cross that out and write formula. But it might as well be a magic potion because it's to cure all disease and, quote, remove any destructive cell. Yeah, it sounds like a cancer cure, kind of, but like it will cure all disease. All disease. Um, and also had the implication of like making people resistant to aging right yeah because the the thing is is the thing that makes you old is your cells like dying yeah uh, inside you so it's like i guess supposed to just keep your cells all perfectly healthy and stop them from being destroyed like at all by any process so that would be disease or aging when they start working together in the movie as ben said oliver is very entitled and acts like he knows more than carter and carter's like you're my assistant why are you acting this way towards me? If you don't like what you're doing, you can leave. You can quit. And Oliver's like, yeah, but it would take you months to hire someone who would be as qualified as me. So I'm staying on for your benefit. It's also for Oliver's own benefit mm -hmm. because under Carter's nose, uh, Oliver is building another Frankenstein monster with the help of Elsu, who turns out has served the Frankenstein family twice before. Yeah, spoilers, his last name's not Frank, it's Frankenstein. Yeah. Okay, so without Carter's knowledge, Oliver drugs Trudy with the formula at least twice, but the implication is multiple times, um, because Oliver is testing the formula that Carter's creating on her, and it turns her into this, like, monster. Now, during this second time, um, the police get involved because people are seeing her running around. She's also still in her bathing suit and has like crazy eyes and, and like kind of even more deformed as a as a monster. The police are like going after her and shooting at her. And Oliver eventually has to go and like chloroform her to get her back inside. It sucks that the drug doesn't work and causes deformities. On the other hand, they're deformities that completely go away after a long rest, so... <laughs> Listen, you just need to cast lesser restoration, <laughs> and you'll be fine. Also happening this night is some robberies. Uh, a robbery at a nearby plant that is done by Carter that happen off-screen, but this is how Carter gets, like, the one last chemical he needs for his potion. Sorry, formula. There you go. <laughs> Now, because the police have gotten involved and there's been multiple monster sightings, it's been picked up in the newspaper. And so Susie heads over to Trudy's house and is like, see, I was telling the truth. Look at these headlines. And Trudy goes, I think that the monster is me. I'm really scared, Susie. Can you help me? And Susie's like, bitch, it's always Trudy, Trudy, Trudy. Why can't once it be about me? No one in this movie reacts to anything like how a human being would. Uh, and we get a little bit of, like, gossip of how Trudy stole Johnny from Susie, and now Susie's going to go after Oliver. Yeah, because Susie seems like the kind of girl who maybe doesn't make great choices because she wants attention, and Oliver definitely gave her the, like, creepy dude look as she came in so she was like oh there's a rich dude who you know wants to give me attention let's go for it keep in mind these are teens yes yes and oliver is not yeah but you know oliver is the bad guy i know 
but I wanted to make sure that the context was there. For sure, that this is super skeezy. Yes. So Susie goes and flirts with Oliver, and they set up a date. And during said date, she has to force him off of her uh, because he is entitled. Now, they are up on Makeout Point in the middle of nowhere. And so she's like, let's just forget about the whole thing and you can just drive me home. And he's like, no, you said no to me and drives over her and kills her. Then he takes her head and brain to put it on his monster. Yes, which has been missing the key ingredient of brain and head. Um, So this all worked out for him, really. So he also is like, Elsie was like, but no one's made a female monster. (laughs) And... Oliver's like, yeah, but the female brain is more obedient than a man's brain who can think independently. So this will be an even bigger success. Yeah, it won't go crazy because the female brain is used to taking orders from men. Right. Yeah. It's not so much that men can think independently. It's it's this actually like really sad point about like, well, female brains have to live in a man's world. So they'll take orders. It's like, oh boy, guys. Woof. Woof is right. So he brings Susie back to life. Uh, and of course, this is the last we see of um, Sally actress, Todd. Yeah. Sally Todd. Uh, and now it is just Guy Susie. Um, Dengar from Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> that is a bounty hunter, by the way. If anyone is like, who the fuck has been talking about? Uh, is this his latest Blorbo? No. Um, <laughs> it's Dengar. You know, the classic beloved Star Wars character, Dengar. So the creature has come alive and she immediately escapes. Uh, meanwhile, Carter has a heart attack because he's old. Well, and also possibly maybe got shot stealing a second bit of that drug stuff. Yeah, he's on the run from police. I really actually feel disappointed that we didn't get to see the scenes of 80-year-old Carter fucking heisting a a laboratory. To make sure Trudy doesn't worry, though, he immediately goes, Trudy, don't worry. Don't you have friends? Why don't you throw a party for your friends? And she's like, well, maybe, like, later this month, Carter. And he's like, no, later this week, Trudy. And it's like, what is going... Why is this a scene? My favorite thing about this is that he comes home from stealing the thing. He has the heart attack and he's on the stairs like really sadly like yelling and yelling and yelling for help and nobody hears him because you know he's an old man having a heart attack so he's like help please help and it takes like five minutes for anyone to come help him and he's clearly like near death and then when it's like yeah uncle carter do you want me to like watch over you tonight he's like no no i'll be fine you have a barbecue party (laughs) so she throws a party Notably, Susie is missing and Don is sad. And so, to make him feel better, they have him sing not one, but two songs. Which are the second and third entire songs that we've heard at this party. During this party, the law catches up with Carter. And he's taken downtown. Uh, Ironically, the police show up just as Oliver tries to strangle Carter, and Carter doesn't mention this until later in the conversation with the damn police in his own damn house. Anyways, so he gets taken. It's after the party, and 
Oliver walks in on Trudy and Johnny being like, yeah, no, we'll definitely get married because presumably Johnny then got the assistant manager position by now. And Oliver's like, well, you know, your uncle was arrested, right? And so Johnny's like, oh, I better go downtown because my dad's a lawyer. And so he heads out. And then Oliver again tries to force kiss Trudy being like, I don't think Johnny's right for you. I'm right for you. And she's like, no. And he's like, you've always hated me because I'm a Frankenstein. She's like, what? He's like, come see the monster that I made. (laughs) I mean... This is exactly what happens. It's literally what happens. So he takes her in, sees the creature. Elsie is there as well. And uh, he's like, great, now time to kill Trudy. No, he's going to disfigure her with the uh, concoction that Carter has put together. And Elsie's like, no, not Trudy. She's too beautiful. And so Oliver has the creature kill Elsie. Yeah. During which time... Trudy wakes up from having fainted, sees the murder, and then leaves to go to the police, who then promptly don't fucking believe her about anything. Which would be almost believable if it wasn't for the fact that the biggest, like, red ball case they're dealing with right now is, like, a sighting of Of a monster monster everywhere. Yeah. And that they just arrested her uncle under suspicion of stealing chemicals that the guy who owns the chemical company is like yeah this could cause like disfigurements and create a monster and when they arrested him there was a super shifty guy there who was like oh i definitely wasn't trying to kill him officer and the police clearly kind of thought he was shifty but there was nothing they could kind of do about it at the time and then a girl comes into you being like hey i'm that guy's niece and the shifty guy just showed me that he made a monster and that his name is frankenstein and they're like "Mm, i don't know about that (laughs) these cops are great Yeah, but they're like, well, maybe we should check it out. So they head down. Long story short, one of the cops is left there and he gets killed by the monster. Um, The other cop stays in the headquarters or whatever. Eventually, Trudy and Johnny make it back home and they're like, oh, no one's here. That's weird. And then they get lured into the lab. The reason the like main cop, the lieutenant gets called away is I think because that's when they get the news that Carter has died of a heart attack in hospital because he had another heart attack after being arrested. So now Trudy's dealing with that on top of everything else. So Trudy and Johnny are lured into the lab and they are cornered between the creature on one side and Oliver on the other and Oliver six, the creature onto Johnny. And here I was thinking like, Oh, Susie always loved Johnny. She won't kill him. Nope. That doesn't even come up. They, they just stay on the other sides of tables, like trying to stay away. I don't think there's even ever at any point, any recognition on the part of Johnny and Trudy that the monster is Susie, which like, to be fair, it looks nothing like her, but it feels like a, uh, you know, Weird. A loose end on terms of the writing. While dodging the creature, Johnny throws a vial and it hits Oliver in the face and it's acid and he gets like fucked up. His face just basically melts off. He's like one face. Because <laughs> it's just his whole face. <laughs> yeah. Um, the creature immediately stops and is like, 
she doesn't speak, but she's like, my creator, no. And in like looking over Oliver, she happens to pass by a fully lit set to 11 Bunsen burner. Yeah, who turned that shit on and left it like that? And she goes up in flames. Uh, Johnny and Trudy make it out of the lab just as the other cop comes by because he's like, no one was answering the phone. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's all wrapped up, fade to black, except we come back. Johnny and Tootie are married. They're laughing about it at the pool. And Don, remember Don? He was sad that Susie wasn't at the party. Well, he's no longer sad, even after reading about her fucking murder in the newspaper. And the story about Frankenstein and everything. He's like, this is the biggest thing our little town has ever seen. And they toss him into the pool. (laughs) And that's the end. That's it. And, And it's clear that, like, Trudy and Johnny are rich off of her inheritance just so that nobody asks frankenstein's daughter is Susie because a frankenstein makes a female monster that is they who... say it's uh, a couple of times in the creation scene yeah i bring it up because um at the start of the movie when trudy is ugly monster um and she scares Susie, uh the first shot we have of trudy is ugly monster is the shot that the title frankenstein's daughter pops up on and it's like no no no, no. Trudy is not Frankenstein's daughter. Trudy is Frankenstein's boss's niece. (laughs) That title doesn't have as much of a ring to it, though. No, no. So, yeah, overall, very misogynist movie. Um, Let's just believe women, you know? Yeah, and, like, you know, let them have full character arcs. Like, Susie, like, I get what they're going for with her character. Like, she's an attention whore. She, like, wants like you know men to pay her attention but she's very clearly like written by like a guy who's had difficulty with women because her whole deal is like she comes off really flirty and she dresses really provocatively and she like lures men in and then the second they start making out with her she's like no i don't want that and to be fair that's totally her choice you can be super like flirty and enjoy that and it doesn't have to mean like i want to have sex with you tonight on this first date But the way it's kind of presented is then all these men get like really huffy with her and it's sort of presented as if it's part of her whole like I want to be the center of attention kind of thing. And, you know, okay, that's all fine and dandy, I guess. Like that's a character. But the fact that like no one recognizes that the monster is Susie like after Susie goes missing And, like, there's no reaction from her friends that, like, Don has no emotional response to Mm -hmm. any of this happening. Well, because they're like, oh, she's just left town because um, she was the one scaring people with a mask or something. And now she's left town to really make and sell this story. Yeah, yeah. And so when she comes back, we'll all have a laugh. Like, they really think that it's all just her playing a goof. Yeah, it's, it's, like I said, nobody reacts to anything in this movie like a human would. I do love that the like Russian mob tracksuit that Susie monster wears is apparently made of just the world's most flammable material. Yeah. Um, so when I say believe women, mm -hmm. I mean that on behalf of women hearing and listening to other women. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like, okay. There's a beef between Trudy and Susie because maybe Trudy stole Johnny from Susie. Um, God, I wish people had like, alternative names besides <laughs> something e yeah at least 50s, don is don yeah, you know right? it's not donnie um which it could have easily been yes anyways um 
okay, so maybe there's a beef there, but like someone is like, I was scared of a monster. And someone's like, I thought I was the monster. You don't go like, ah, no one's like listening to my story. Yeah. You're just making it all about you, Trudy. The other thing that really sucks about that scene that I really didn't like was so, okay. And again, nobody reacts to anything normally. So Trudy doesn't know for sure that she's turning into a monster. She doesn't know the explanation for events. She does know that she keeps like, here's what she knows. She blacks out after drinking a drink that Oliver gives her. Right. That is the process both times. Like she tells the story and then we see it a second time. Like Oliver, who has tried to assault her, gives her something to drink and she blacks out. And then she wakes up the next morning wearing the same clothes she last remembered blacking out in and has like odd memories of being a monster. And we know the explanation is because the drugged drink is actually the weird turns you into a monster potion. But, you know, from her perspective, the only reasonable conclusion should be that Oliver has raped her twice. And then Susie comes over and she's grumpy at Trudy for like stealing her thunder. So she's like, well, that Oliver seems to be interested in you. So I'm going to go off and steal him. And Trudy's like, no, Susie, I really need to talk to you like alone. And Susie's like, man, and goes off with Oliver. And it's like, no, like Trudy needs to tell you that that guy's a rapist. Yeah. And, and it just like that conversation doesn't happen. And then, yeah, Oliver tries to rape her on make out point. And then when she's like, hey, don't maybe he's like, do your parents even know that you're out? And she's like, no, no one knows that you're out. No, I'm going to kill you. And there are multiple occasions in this movie where Oliver says, like, I'm going to kill you to someone and then walks towards them extremely slowly while they do nothing. Yeah. And it's super frustrating. Yes. Um, everyone is very stupid mm-hmm. because the plot needs them to be. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's just everyone is so incompetent. Um, even when the movie wants you to think that they aren't like in the case of the cops. The cops are incompetent. Yeah. Um, This movie is boring and tiresome and repetitive. We get, like I said, um, multiple songs at this party. We're not even halfway through when the creature is made. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to pivot us over into a a corner that I'm going to call credit where credit is due. Where I'm going to talk about (laughs) maybe some positive things about this movie for a while before we get back to shitting on it. Okay, I can only think of one positive thing. Okay. The makeup is pretty well done. The monster makeup for both Creature and when Oliver has his face melted. Yeah, I think the movie has quite a bit of gruesome imagery. Um, It's all done really cheaply, of course. But, like, I like the monster face for Trudy. Not the first one that's just, like, you have an overbite and a unibrow. But, like, the second one where her face is all kinds of messed up. Yeah, her eyes look like they're bugging out. Yeah, and her skin's all, like... Looks like um, wrinkled newspaper. Probably is. Um, (laughs) I really like that design. Um, There's a lot of blood in a bunch of scenes. Like the monster at one point when the monster's like on the run and running amok, like kills a dude at a warehouse by like crushing him in a door. And he has like a spurt of blood out of his mouth. And like after Oliver runs over Susie, they bring her like bloody corpse back in. And so there's like a lot of good blood in some scenes. Um, yes. And then Oliver's melting face looks great. Uh, really helped by the fact that it's only on screen for like two seconds. As I already mentioned, I can't really look at Susie monster without thinking of Dengar, but 
you're right. It's a good monster design. If it wasn't for the fact that it's completely incongruous with the story and the script, it's a good monster design. It's very neat that they almost did a little bit of a Phantom of the Opera thing because half of his face-ish is like more melty than the other side. Yeah, the other side just has acromegaly. Yeah, but it, it was just like a neat use of of makeup. So some other stuff I liked in this movie. Um, so this movie doesn't know how to be edited. Like the editing is terrible. Um, the pacing is really bad. But the movie does try to do some like good shots. Um, like there are some attempts at like interesting cinematography. There's some attempts at like shadowy cinematography. There's some attempts at like creating mood. Um, I liked the cinematography, even if the the editing and the directing is is probably really subpar. It's not the like flatly lit only one shot per scene like training film uh cinematography that you often get in movies of this budget so that impressed me um i really liked donald murphy's performance as oliver frankenstein it is just this absolutely slimy entitled totally crazy frankenstein that is like his performance is totally in line with the way the character is written he's just this little shit who thinks he's better than everybody and smarter than everybody and it makes him this like complete maniac douchebag and i think he plays that really well it's it's sort of peter cushing's interpretation of frankenstein as like being so rich and smart that he thinks he can just kind of get away with anything sort of taken to extremes I think you could interpret his performance as chewing the scenery, except yeah. that his character literally is written as that kind what of person. We see. Yeah. And like, you know, I think he's totally believable for like a weird, rich Ivy leaguer who believes that his family name gives him the right to anything. And that like becomes violent when like someone says no, exactly. He's totally believable. My only issue with his performance is, isn't really his performance's fault it's the fact that like no one clues in that oliver is awful and creepy until like way too late in the movie like people have dialogue where it's like oliver why are you always being such a dick to me but it's like you should have fired him ages ago and ages even ago. before you know that he's like a monster dude like you should have called the police on him ages ago he has no background um my my favorite thing is like Oliver really doesn't want Carter to steal the chemicals from the company because he doesn't want the police brought in because he has no papers backing up who he is because he's, you know, Oliver Frank. And he's trying to pretend he's not a Frankenstein. So one other thing I really liked in this movie, although it's it's short lived, is Detective Dylan, the only person in this movie who sees through Oliver's bullshit. And so he is, of course, killed by the monster. Oh, Detective Dylan, we hardly knew ye, but I really like the moment in the movie where like, you know, the boss detective, the Lieutenant, um, Boyle, Boyle, Lieutenant Boyle. At one point, Boyle asks Frank, like, okay, you're Oliver Frank, not Frankenstein. Like the girl said, show us some identification. And Frank being a slimy piece of shit, Ivy leaguer is like, why should I have to show you anything? And Dylan's like, because the Lieutenant told you to. Which I fucking loved. And then, like, after Boyle leaves, um, there's some noises from upstairs, which is the monster. And Dylan is like, what's that? And Frank's like, oh, that's just the servant. And Dylan's like, well, I'm going to go check on him. And Frank's like, no, I'll do it. And Dylan's like, let's both do it, maybe. <laughs> like, I, I liked that. Um, it didn't last very long. Someone being smart in this movie did not last very long because the smart thing 
for Dylan to have done when he found the monster is shoot Frank, not unload his gun into the monster where it was not going to do any good. That's about it for things I liked. I liked Murphy's performance. I liked the gruesomeness. I liked some of the cinematography. And I liked the minute and a half we had of a character actually calling Oliver out on his bullshit. Yeah. We kind of already made this point before I gave the synopsis, but it's always just frustrating when a movie has the regular guys be just as bad as our villain. Um, and all of them have like no consequences in regards to that behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, Oliver gets his comeuppance for having created a monster. Right. But and again, killed like, people. There's no justice for, for yeah. Susie. That's the thing. Like, there's no justice for Susie. There's nothing about the fact that he's a total fucking creep. Yeah. There's nothing about the fact that he date raped Trudy. Trudy, twice. Trudy doesn't get to defeat him is i think the problem right like they set up this thing where like johnny's fighting the monster and oliver's kind of there being like "Ooh, ha, 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 i'm the villain and trudy's just kind of like standing in the corner like oh no you know okay johnny has to defeat the monster because the monster's big and strong and he's the boy so okay but like to actually give oliver his real comeuppance like it should have been trudy who killed oliver or like got the upper hand on him or something like that would have been much more satisfying. Um, and yeah, it's, it sucks when like, I think we're supposed to, you know, understand that Oliver's date raping of women is bad. Like we, we, he's bad guy, but I think the writer doesn't realize that having like Don be all complainy about how like Susie doesn't put out is not different. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's like not realizing that, that, that Oliver's behavior is part of a wider culture of behavior, shall we say? Yeah. And yes, I know that this is just a cheap movie from like, not even AIP, it's from Aster Pictures, mm-hmm. but it's just like, like, let us complain. Yeah. Let us fucking complain about a bad schlocky movie. So other things that suck that I don't like. It's hard to rag on an old man, but Felix Locker just doesn't really cut it as Carter Morton. So lifeless. Yeah. Like nothing to his performance. Uh, he's saying the lines okay, but like, ugh, but you know, he's there's nothing he, there. He seems like such a pushover. Like it's like, Oliver, why are you so terrible to me? Well, anyways, let's keep working. John Ashley is better in the regular teen scenes, but when he's in any part of the movie that's like horror, he is terrible. Like they see the monster for the first time and Trudy screams and he just gives no reaction whatsoever. He's just like, oh no, this is a monster. Yeah, no reaction at all. He's really clearly out of his depth. Very in those wooden. Scenes. Sandra Knight is good as Trudy, but the part's just really underwritten. She does have a good scream. Sally Todd is hot, um, but she's not a great actress and, you know, isn't given great material to work with either. Harold Lloyd Jr., rest in peace, is awful as Don. Um, Don is a terrible person, but like... It's really hard to believe that he is a teenager. It's very hard to believe that he's a teenager, Um, but also just like a person with charisma can make you like 
a shittily written character. There are lots of examples I can point to of male characters who are, you know, entitled jerks and are like, oh, why don't you put up with me or put out or whatever, like who people love those characters because the actors are charismatic. And so, like, I understand Harold Lloyd Jr.'s frustration at not being able to get out of his father's shadow, but like there's nothing in this movie that's demonstrating to me that he is like in his own right a charismatic performer who could like have some success if he wasn't someone famous as son. He shouldn't have tried to make it in the entertainment industry. Yeah. I'm sure he is talented in some way. Mm. He should have found what that was and excelled at it rather than trying to chase the shadow of his father. Yeah. And then complaining about it. John Zaremba, who plays Lieutenant Boyle, looks sort of like either John Doman from The Wire or Gene Hackman, and it's weird and distracting. Not his fault. Just thought I'd mention it since I was talking (laughs) about the cast. We've kind of touched on a lot of things, including various parts of the story not making sense. I think for me, like, I didn't hate this as much as you did. There were things in it I liked, and I think that this movie, like, could have been good like there's a version of this movie that could have existed that could have been good but the thing that is sinking this movie um oddly enough for one of these cheap films is not like the cinematography being bad is not like the movie looking cheap is not the performances so much as it is the big problem here is the script yeah that's i i was going to take issue with you saying that there is possibly a good movie here because the script is so meandering and it's confused in itself because it starts off with like oh we're going to like uh have the monster be trudy turning into something just kidding yeah that just stops and like the entire first act where trudy is the monster doesn't matter those yeah it's pointless it goes nowhere and it's like why is it even happening like yes oliver is trying to test the serum on trudy like the serum that her uncle's working on but like why he doesn't care about that yeah it's just um so we can have a monster early on and if you want to you know psychoanalyze why he's doing it it's because like he feels entitled to be able to use people as test yeah, subjects it, it's it's in character with his like personality but yeah, it, it doesn't yeah. have any kind of plot connection to anything it doesn't yeah. go anywhere you could cut the first half hour of this movie roughly in half by getting rid of all the trudy monster stuff and just kind of keeping the pieces of exposition you need to introduce the characters then you have the party scene where you get all of our rock and roll in and these scenes always suck, but like there's a way to do these scenes where they make sense. I think the best one we saw was in Teen Werewolf. Yeah. And even then it felt shoehorned in. The reason you do a scene like this is to sell some singles, but the way to make it work in your horror movie is you have all the teens at the party and the music's going loud and everybody's having a good time and they don't notice the monster creeping up on them until it's like right amongst them. And then suddenly someone notices the monster and everybody screams and it's panic and it's mayhem. And that doesn't happen here at all. There's no tension. There's no mayhem. You could cut the entire party scene as well. And it would make no no difference. difference. In fact, it would improve the pacing of the movie. (laughs) Basically, if you at least... 22 minutes of this 70-minute movie are filler. 
that sucks. Like it sucks when 70 minutes feels long. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's on the script. So I have nothing else to say about this movie. Let's move on to ranking. For sure. So I'm really curious as to where you're going to put this because I clearly thought it was bad, but I I liked more about it than you did. Hmm. Well, when trying to figure out ranking, I thought, let's look at all of the other movies that have mentioned daughter in the title. (laughs) Okay. So Dracula's daughter is the first to come to mind from 1936. That is ranked at number 131. That movie is better than this one. Yeah. Next, we have, in chronological order, Devil Bat's Daughter from 1946. Right. That's not actually ranked. It's on the miscellaneous list. Yeah. Um, I do feel like Frankenstein's Daughter is horror. Yes. So agreed. I do have a spot picked out. But just, you know, since I'm comparing to daughter movies. Um, and then the last one that's on the list is Daughter of Dr. Jekyll from 1957, ranked at number 174. And Daughter of Dr. Jekyll, like, weirdly has almost the exact same plot as Devil Bat's Daughter, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but it's actually horror. And it's better than Frankenstein's Daughter, yeah. in my opinion. I would I would agree. It also has the exact same plot as Son of Dr. Jekyll, now that I remember that as well. <laughs> Wild. So that left me a little unmoored. But I found my floor, which was number 209, Woman Eater. That's the one where there's like the tree in the basement. Oh, yeah. That movie was terrible. <laughs> but it was more focused than this movie. Um, it was terrible. And the only neat effects were the tree part, right? Like, yeah. So I felt like, okay, I feel like Frankenstein's daughter could be considered better than Woman Eater. That made my ceiling. You know, we have things in here like uh, the Monster Maker, which also has Acromegaly that has like the dog in it, if if you remember that. Oh, yeah. It has the fake Acromegaly with like paper mache head. Yes. We also have Jungle Captive, the Paula Dupree sequel. But I felt like my ceiling was at number 199, Bride of the Gorilla from 1951. That has... Perry Mason. Oh, in right. It, yes. Being really hot. Yeah, and, and turning into a gorilla. Or is it the girl who turns into the gorilla? It's got to be Perry Mason, right? It has to be Perry Mason because it's the bride of the gorilla. Right. right? Okay, yeah, there we and go. And we have like the first person shots. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, like it's a bit confused, but there's more horror to it, I think. Um, it's more shadowy, it's more moody and atmospheric. So I felt like that was a good ceiling. So my range is 199 to 209. Shocking. So I picked a spot and it's lower than your range. Really? Yeah. Okay. Maybe I gave it too much of a benefit of a doubt. Wild. What is your spot? So you were talking about like, how, you know, where do you find a place to start? So I decided like this movie is bad but compared to a lot of low budget stuff it looks like a movie true like it doesn't have that really boring look that i think a lot of these things have um the pacing is bad but it's not like i don't know how to make a movie bad it's just like we're not good at this you know not everybody's spielberg so i looked for the spot on the list when movies stop being functional as movies I knew this would go above that. And that spot is number 220, 
uh, below the unearthly, which is just bad, and Mesa of Lost Women, which is broken and not a functional movie. And I thought, this is better than Mesa of Lost Women. So I started kind of looking up from there, and this movie's bad, but I don't find it personally as offensive as The Unearthly, which I really hated. Um, Curse of the Faceless Man is the one where it's the Pompeii uh, Volcano Man, and that yeah. that movie fucking sucks. Um, and then at 216, there's Scared to Death. And there's movies above Scared to Death that also suck, like The Spider-Woman Strikes Back or Crime of Dr. Crespi or Sex Maniac. But the key difference between Scared to Death and this movie is I would watch Scared to Death again because it's fun. It's bad, but it's fun. Uh, so I stuck this at 217, uh, which is actually below your range. So the midpoint between the bottom of your range and my spot puts us around like Night of Terror, Sex Maniac, um, Crimes of Dr. Crespi in and around there. All of those movies really suck. Yeah. Ugh. You know, honestly, I'm happy with your justification for why it should go below scared to death. So let's just do that. Yeah. I mean, I really don't like Mad Ghoul or Crime of Dr. Crespi. But, like, those movies at least have, you know... Um, Tension? Well, you know, like, Scared to Death has Bella Lugosi, and Mad Ghoul has George Zuko, and Crime of Dr. Crespi has fucking Eric von Stroheim and Dwight Fry. Like, there's people in them. Um, so, yeah. Okay, if you're good with this? Yeah. All right, then coming in at the new number 217 is Frankenstein's Daughter from 1958, directed by Richard E. Kana. If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, ScreamScenePodcast.com. There you can find links to the many episodes we have mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. If you would like to contest this or any other ranking, you can drop us a line through our ask box on Tumblr. You can reach out over email at ScreamScenePodcast at gmail.com or over Twitter at underscore ScreamScene. And I know that we have gotten a couple more appeals. Uh, we will get to them, yeah, I promise. We've just been really busy. Yeah. Scream Scene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can subscribe to the show using our RSS feed, and you can help us out by leaving us a rating or a review on the podcasting app of your choice. You can tell a friend about us, share the good news of the show through social media or just, you know, in person around the water cooler. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow our audience. If you'd like to support what we do here uh, financially, you can do so at patreon.com slash screamscenepodcast, where you can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month. Patrons at the $5 and $10 levels get access to regular bonus content, and patrons at every level get to vote each and every month for our horror-adjacent bonus episode. The poll went up today, so if you want to vote... Uh, from one of Ben's picks, head on over to patreon.com slash scream scene podcast. I think you'll find it an interesting set of choices. <laughs> so what are we watching next week, Ben? Well, next week, Sarah, you remember Jack Arnold? He directed the, the creature, creature from, from the, the Black, Black Lagoon. Lagoon movies. And he also did like this Island Earth and like Incredible Shrinking Man. And yeah. he was working for Universal. And he kind of worked himself out of horror and like into a pictures and, you know. Yeah. Well, we're back with him at Universal International. Oh, no. For Monster on the Campus. 
Okay, I can see why this has trickled into, uh, for lack of a better word, A pictures. You know, back to Universal. Yeah, so we've now got Universal going like, oh, other people are doing horror who aren't us? Well, what are they doing with the horror? Uh, Teens? Oh, uh... Well, who do we got on staff who who knows horror? Uh, Jack Arnold? Yeah, for sure. Let's get him in. Uh, We can still do this, right? That's, I assume, what happened. We'll find out next week. (laughs) We will see you then, Creatures of the Night. Bye. Bye. Bye.